0: Are y'all ready for a week five of our series, Hostage? Man, this uh, had a lot of compliments on this series. In fact, one I got a text this week said, Pastor said, I believe this is probably one of the best series you have preached and talked about how to really minister to him and his wife. Uh, Last week we talked about addiction. Uh, Breaking free from addiction. Now, the problem when you talk about addiction is this. Most people think pills, pornography, alcohol, uh, dope, whatever. But we talked about the whole gamut. Because there's way more people addicted to food. I'm just going to let it hang there for a moment. To hunting, shopping, You know, so, and we talked about the whole thing. This week, um, I want to preach a message called The Familiar. I know, doesn't that sound, as I thought about that title, because I wrestled with this title, what's called today's message. uh, That sounds like a great, scary movie, The Familiar. Uh, But we're not talking about scary stuff today. But, well, maybe we are. But let me ask a question. Anybody tired of living life just going through the motions? Just, you, you get up, go to work or go to school or wherever. You, you're, you're there for your 8, 10, 12 hours. You come home. Uh, you, you chill out in front of the TV, chill out with your family, go to bed, get up and do it all over again. That's why I'm referred to as the familiar. Uh, let me give you a definition of familiar. Uh, it says this, closely intimate or personal. That's what we would understand familiar. It's, I'm familiar with it. But here's what got me the rest of the definitions. Uh, moderately tame, common, ordinary, plain. I would say uninspired. So the familiar, when we talk about breaking free from the familiar... I'm talking about breaking free from a life that is just ordinary, that is just plain, that there is it's uninspired, because we may not say it with our mouths or vocally say it, but there's a lot of people who would, when you think about the life you're living, you would say it's not very inspiring. Like, I just go through the motions. It's just the grind. That, that, that's what I do. And, and, and so we go through that, and in fact, We've come to lower our expectations of what we want out of life because we don't think anything else is attainable. We don't think we could, our life couldn't be done, to, we, we couldn't uh, do anything extraordinary with our lives. So let's don't raise our expectations up here, let's leave them here. Anybody remember the old SNL skit, Lowering Expectations? One of my favorites where the guy, those that could not get a date, Lower your expectations and just... Oh, nobody? That's, that's funny. Look it up. It's funny. <laughs> but but we I, I, I think we live a life of lowered expectations, of the familiar, of, that's common, that's uninspiring, because we don't think we can live anymore. Uh, a week ago Friday, we celebrated my mom's home going. Uh, man, I, I I could not tell you the people... That would, we, we talked to people afterwards and says I've never been to a funeral where I walked in and people were just smiling. Like they knew the life that she had lived. And I stood up here and, and I listened to story after story after story after story about how my mom had impacted their people's lives. I'm talking about from years and years back from when she was a teenager, how she had impacted their lives. I left there that day having no doubt that my mom lived anything but an ordinary, common, plain life. She lived the kind of life that we would tell stories about later. I, I mean, y'all, come on, y'all. Some of y'all heard the stories. One story in particular she would not want it to have told, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, but, but the life that she lived, and I left there thinking, that's the kind of life I want to live. That's the legacy I want to leave. I don't want, when, I, I don't want my story to end when I die. I want it to live on long past, uh, after I'm dead. Now, let me ask, anybody else want that kind of life? Yeah, absolutely. So I thought, what better message during this hostage series is to talk about, hey, let's break free from a life of familiarity of a life of, uh, uh, so we can begin to write a story that matters so that we can begin to write a story that our lives is not just common, it's ordinary. And when we look back, people will say, man, they made a difference. They impacted this world. Because I think so many people are held hostage by that. And here's the thing. I, I, they think I'm held hostage. This, I, this is the life I'm stuck with because of where you came from, your history, your past, your ethnicity. And, and you think, well, my life can't be anything other than, than what it is. But I'm here to tell you it can be. I'm here to tell you no matter how you start, you can finish well. I'm here to tell you, no matter what those first chapters of your life look like, you can close those chapters off and begin to write a new story today. So I want to introduce you to three men that served under King David. And and you're going to find out these men didn't start off being great warriors. In fact, they could sing, hey, I started from the bottom, now I'm here. no, no, nobody. Okay, everybody. Man, y'all are a tough crowd today. I gotta up my game. Second Samuel. If you got your Bible, turn on me to Second Samuel, uh, chapter twenty-three. If not, I'm gonna put it up on the screen. And he's about to give you three of these warriors. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. We're just gonna call this first guy Josh. <laughs> and he's from Ten Mile. Uh, <laughs> He was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. That's a bad dude. I mean, that's King Leonidas in the 300 kind of story right there. In fact, over in 1 Chronicles 11, another story tells about this same guy that killed 300 by himself. That's a bad dude. And then he goes on and says, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodi, the Ehoi. I tried to change it up, babe, but no matter how it, it comes out, listen, nobody wants to be from the tribe of the A-holeites. Right? Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to be from that tribe. So <laughs> I tried to roll right over that, but it got me so cracked up in the first one. Okay, anyway, three, as one of the three mighty warriors... He was with David. Get this. Eleazar was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. Get this in your head. Here's what happened. King David is smack-talking the enemy. He's trash-talking them. And he's ready to turn around and tell his army, let's get them. He turned around. There's one guy there, Eleazar. (laughs) I got you, boss. I've got you. Let's go. And, and look what happens. I love this. Everybody else fled, but look what it says. But Eleazar stood his ground. He stood his ground, struck down the Philistines, till his hand grew tired, froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Get this, this cracks me up. Then the troops returned, but only to strip the dead. you ever know anybody like that? They don't want to be there during the battle. They don't want to be there when time gets tough, when the fight's going down, but they'll sure show up for the celebration and the food. They don't want to bring a plate to the dinner we're having, but they'll show up to eat and then take a ton of leftovers home with them. Too too far? It's only too far because y'all know it's true. Anyway, let's go. Well, praise God. Then, then I, I that I need to work hard to make you uncomfortable. So, <laughs> so check this out. Check this out. Verse eleven. Next to him. Well, Shammah, son of Agi the Herite, when the Philistines banded together in a place where there was a field of lentils, a field of beans, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. I'm convinced Shama was from southern Israel. He said, oh, you're not taking my field of beans. <laughs> Mama's got cornbread in the oven. I got some relish. We got plans for these beans. And you ain't going. And look, he took his stand. He defeated and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. You've got Josh, Eleazar, Shama. These guys were known as the Three. These were guys that were legends in the community. These were guys that little boys looked up to and said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Do you know what the one, anybody knows the one thing these three guys did when everybody else was gone? Stood their ground. They stayed put. They didn't leave when things got tough. They didn't leave when things got hard. They stood their ground, and they fought. And the Lord says, because of that, the Lord brought about a great victory. Here's what you need to remember when it comes to these men. These men and the other warriors that fought with David, none of them would be considered what we would, in college football or college recruiting terms, would be what we would call five-star recruits. That if you don't understand that term, here, here's what I mean. They, they, would, they would be picked last. They weren't. Everybody wasn't out to recruit these guys. Oh, man, let me get them. Let me get them. In fact, the chances are they were part of the first group that came to David. Look, look what it says about them. Back in 1 Samuel. We're in 2 Samuel. We're going back to 1 Samuel. So David got away. He escaped to the cave of Adullam when his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was. They came down and joined him. Now, look, who else joined him? Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. And David became their leader. What happened? Here, where they're vagrant, the Bible says they were vagrants, they were losers, they were misfits. What happened between that point and 2 Samuel where it said they stood their ground and God brought a great victory? What happened? I'm convinced of this, that they saw something in King David that said, that's the kind of life I want to live. I'm convinced they were there that day when they saw a young teenage David show up. Not even to fight. He was there to bring lunch. And he shows up. And instead of walking away or staying on the sidelines, he said, no, 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 no. This guy's not going to talk bad about my God. And he stood his ground and defeated a giant called Goliath. And I think that's what they said. I want that kind of legacy. I think they were there that day when they heard the the young handmaiden sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David is 10,000. And they were like, I want story. I want my life to live that kind of story. I want it to have meaning. I want it to have purpose. Let me ask you today, what kind of story is your life writing? What's, What's it writing? Because you don't have to settle for the familiar, common, just reserve life. But, but, but Kelly, no, no, listen, there's no buts in this. I'm telling you, uh, so you can let the chapters close on that and begin to write something new, something meaningful for your life. I think what happens, though, so many times is we get into this autopilot mode where we just begin to live on, on autopilot. It's just, it's just, anybody ever used to getting to drive a certain route and you get so programmed to that route, I've had times where I just got, I don't even, I'm past that bridge, I don't even remember passing the bridge because we're on autopilot. And I think we get to that because it's so familiar to us. We just live a life. Nothing will ever change. It's always going to be like this. My marriage will never get better. It's always going to be like this. My finances are always going to be like this. Mom and dad, they were in debt. They lived paycheck to paycheck. I'm going to be that way. My kids will probably end up being that way. My kids are never going to change. I'm always going to live with this addiction. I'm always going to. And we live life on autopilot because we think nothing will ever change. That's where some of you are. You've quit dreaming. The, some of you, you used to dream that things could be different. You used to dream that, that you could live a life that mattered and make a difference. But have you stopped dreaming? Here's what Mark Patterson says. I love this. He says, I'm not convinced that our true date of death is the date listed on our death certificate. Sadly, many people die long before their heart stops beating. We start dying the day we stop dreaming. And ironically, we start living the day we discover a dream worth dying for. He goes on to say this. We don't die when our heart stops beating. We die when our heart stops skipping a beat in pursuit of our passions. When our heart stops breaking for the things that break the heart of God. Have you stopped dreaming? Have you stopped believing things could be any different? Have you stopped believing that you could actually make a difference? And have you settled for whatever has been thrown into your lap? Now, here's the truth. I'm not trying to give you some motivational speech, pump you up or hype you up. I actually believe that you can live a life that matters. I do believe that. I I believe it. When, When these first men, they meet David, they were living some spectacular life. They were living a familiar, uninspired life. They weren't living a life that people told stories about. They didn't have anything worth dying for. That's why you didn't read any stories about them until later on. So what is the story your life is writing? Are you living the kind of life that people will tell stories about? Twelve years ago this past Father's Day, was the last vacation, and it happened, we were there on Father's Day, that I got to spend with my dad on vacation. Me, uh, my family, mom and dad, uh, we went to the Dominican Republic. And man, it was one adventure after another. Uh, I, it may have been the first time mom and dad had been out of the country. No, they went to Israel years ago. But, but uh, I enjoyed, uh, because my, my dad said this is the hottest place he has ever been in his life and it was it was hot uh the only place i've been hotter is when we went to dallas two years ago in august and i believe dallas is the latin word for hell uh it was that hot <laughs> and, and so so but but man we we live one adventure after another after another uh I, little did we know uh but uh, there in the dominican republic tops are optional on the beach and at the swimming pool so I enjoyed watching my dad walk down through there and go, oh, Lord. So even when I saw what was coming, I didn't say a word just so I could see dad's reaction. But, man, we had a blast. We, one day we, we were on this. We said, hey, let's go to the other side of the island. We, rent, we said, hey, let's rent a van. Me and dad went down. We, said, we, we talked to the people renting out. and said, listen, we want a van that has air conditioning, and we want an English-speaking driver. And so we got, he said, no problem. So we go get the family. We come back in an hour. Uh, There's a van there with no air conditioning, and the driver does not speak one word of English. So what did we do? We got in the van. (laughs) And we headed to the other side of the island. And I did not, I understood one word. He pulled us into this place, was showing us these different things. I understood one word, Rambo. And we finally figured out, oh, he's showing us where part of Rambo was filmed. Uh, so, and, and, and then he took us. We dropped us off in the middle of this little town. And we were just stupid enough to get out and think, hey, he's got our money. Surely he'll come back and get us. And he did. Uh, so, but we didn't care. We were on an adventure. We were writing a story. We didn't want just a, a I'm telling you, I grew up watching this with my parents. That day, I'll never forget the, that Father's Day over there. Uh, we want to make it memorable. So my son Zion, myself, and my dad, we said, what can we do this Father's Day? We got up and we went snorkeling with sharks and stingrays. I never thought my dad would swim with sharks. But that day, he not, didn't even hesitate. Jumped in. Man, we swam around touching them and it was an incredible day on that same trip. I got to watch my mom swim with stingrays. In fact, one of the pictures, you saw her, it looked like she was scared of her mind. You saw one of the stingrays swimming up beside her. It was an adventure. I watched them live an adventure in front of me. I watched them write, write their story in front of me. I watched how they loved people to a fault. I I watched my mom, uh, man, who who was always up for adventure. During the ladies' conference, when she was well enough, it was nothing for her at 1 o'clock in the morning to grab her grandkids or some of the youth and say, let's go to Gatlinburg (laughs) in her pajamas. (laughs) Nothing for her. And I watched them live this story. And they taught me so much watching their story unfold. They taught me how to love people. They taught me how to love God. They taught me how to obey God, to give, to, to, to not hold out and make Jesus my, my one and only in my life. Those that, That's the life they lived. And it was so compelling in front of me. Then watching me, this is how you love and serve God. And I watched it to the point where I've prayed many times, God, let me love people like mom and dad love people. Let me see people. You got to understand, my, my dad wanted a church that was so diverse to the point that some of you will remember this. Well, we had a a huge Hispanic community in this area. Dad went out and bought these things so they could put them on, and while he preached, it would interpret what he was saying to them. My dad has always had a heart for people. It didn't matter where they come from, their background, their social setting, their ethnicity, that that's who they were. And and I love that. That's the story they live. And people still tell stories about my dad. And I'm convinced 20, 30 years from now, people will still be telling stories about my mom. Because uh, her life, the storybook didn't die with her. It lived on. So what about you? What kind of story are you writing with your life? How, How do we live a life like that? Here's the first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. You've got to settle who the main character of your story is. It can't be you. And I know that seems, Keller, what do you mean it's the story of me? What do you mean it can't be me? And it's natural for us to to think we ought to be the main character in our stories. Well, it's our life stories. But I love Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He nailed it with his opening statement. It read like this. It's not about you. If your life life doesn't contain something bigger to live for besides you, you will live unfulfilled, unsatisfied. Uh, Chris Cornell, one of my favorite voices in the rock and roll world, uh, played with Soundgarden and, and several other bands. The fact is, the band he was in, Soundgarden, they sold over 25 million albums. That's not including downloads. Uh, the, that doesn't that include the other bands and music he was vo- involved in. He was still selling out shows. And everyone looking on his life thought, man, he was living and writing a great story. But two and a half years ago, Chris Cornell did a concert in Detroit, Michigan with Soundgarden. Went back to his hotel, called his wife. She knew something wasn't right, so she called his bodyguard. By the time his bodyguard got into his room, 30 minutes later, Chris Cornell was found dead by suicide. Do you know the biggest problem? 52 years old. 52. Do you know the biggest problem with Chris Cornell's life? He was the main character in his own story. I'm telling you, if you're the main character in your own story, your story's too small. I'm convinced, I didn't even say this to nine and it just came to me. I'm convinced that guys like Antonio Brown that buy into their own hype, the reason their story isn't so tragic and the reason nobody, is because they are the main characters of their story. And they've not found something bigger to live for. Here's what Colossians one sixteen says. For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and, get this, finds its purpose in him. It goes on. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. Do you know what that verse tells me, Chris? That if Jesus is not the main character in your story, it will eventually unravel and fall apart. It will fall apart. There will be nothing. Everything, everyone finds its purpose in him. That, that, the story you're writing, it may look good at first. It may look like it's going good. But Jesus, if not the center of it, it will eventually fall apart. He says he was there before any of it came into existence. And he is the one holding it all together. What want you to understand, see, the whole Bible points to Jesus. I'm talking Old Testament through New Testament. Every story points to Jesus. It's saying, listen, it's all at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. You may think you're reading about Moses, but in the end, it's all about Jesus. You may be think you're talking about Adam, but in the end, hey, that's the first Adam but Jesus is the perfect Adam. Every story. When it, comes, when it comes down to it, the story that God is wanting to write for Watts Bar Church has little to do with what's Bar church. When it comes to the story that God is writing for, wanting to write for your life and my life, it has very little to do with you or I. It all has to do with the, the glory of God. It all has to do with pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You want to break free from being a hostage of the familiar, of the ordinary, of, of, of that? I'm going to tell you to make it all about Jesus. Here's the thing, when you begin to live a life that says it's all about Jesus, here's what happens when tough times come, when life side-swaps you out of nowhere. You can stand there and say, you know what, God, I don't like this. This is painful. This hurts. But I believe what you say. That you work all things together for my good. That you've got me in the palm of your hand. I am yours. And at the end of the day, it's all about you anyway. I'm telling you guys, you can do that when you settle who the main character of your story is. Second thing you gotta do, and I promise you that's my longest point, you gotta identify what you really want. Identify what is it you really want. Because every great story, the character has something they would give their life for. They want something really bad. Think about it, The Princess Bride, one of the greatest movies of all time. Come on now. Yeah. They make a remake of that. I, oh, that'll just make me so mad. What did Enigo Montoya want? Revenge of the six, on the six-figured guy. Uh, what did uh, Jake and El, Elwood Blues want? Blues Brothers, come on! They want to save the orphanage. They were on a mission from God. What did Rudy want? He wanted to play football for Notre Dame. What in Harry met Sally? What did Harry want? Sally is simple. It's not a great question. Uh, in the movie Taken, what did Liam want? He wanted to get his daughter back, and he had a particular set of skills that he was not afraid to use. <laughs> in the movie Benjamin Button, what did Benjamin Button want? Listen, I don't know by the end of that movie, I was just ready for him to die. Get on, go, get out of here. That was the longest, most boring movie, I believe. And if you like that movie, I'm sorry. Every great movie has a character that they would give everything for. And it's the same with us. The thing is, the things that we want, we said we really want, in the scheme of things, they don't really matter. They don't make a difference. Here's the truth. If there's there's not something we want that is so meaningful that we go after it with everything within us, then it's easy for us to walk away when time gets hard. If there's not something we want so bad that we're willing to give it all away for, then when life hits us, it's easy just to walk away from it. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of God is like. This man finds something, and it means so much to him. He recognized the treasure that he found. So what does he do? He goes empties out his 401K if he's got one. He goes and empties out retirement. He goes and picks up cans on the side of the road and sells them. He, uh, he's having yard sales. He's doing whatever it takes, liquidating, because what he has found is priceless to him. Jesus said that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says it's the one thing. That is worth risking it all for. So the one thing. Then he continues making his point. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. You know what really sticks out to me about both of these stories? Other than they gave everything to find it? They did it with joy. They weren't hesitant about it. They did it with joy joy. So let me ask you again today, what is it that you really want in life? Now, now, us quick survey. Don't raise your hand. At the end, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but just, I'm going to read some things, and then at the end, I'm going to ask you if any of these pertain to you. Raise your hand. How many would say, I want, I would love to be healthy and in a lot better shape? Don't raise your hand. I would love for my finances to be in order. I would love for my checkbook to be balanced. I would love to have money for retirement. I would love to have money to just be able to give away. I would love to get enough sleep every night. I I would love uh, if my house or my apartment or whatever was clean. Dishes done. Floors mopped. Vacuumed. Uh, no dust balls on the ceiling fan. I would love to be spiritually fit for my prayer life and my Bible study life to just be on point. Now, how many would say any of those? You'd say, yeah, I want one of those, at least one of those. Now, when you look around, if the person is not raising their hand. Go tell them you need to borrow $100. <laughs> no. no, the fact is we want that. But here's a tough question. You ready? Why don't you have it? And let's be honest. I'm preaching to myself. Truth is, here's the short answer to why we don't have it. Because there's something else we want more. Because the truth is, I I know there are situations where there are health issues and things. But the truth is, for the most part, everybody in here could... Get healthy. People in here could get their blood pressure, their sugar down. A lot of people could get off those medications. So what keeps us from doing it? I want that pie more than I want to be healthy. I want that extra helping more than I want to be healthy. I want that pizza more than I want. I, I want this more than I want to honor God with my body. And again, I'm listen, I'm not throwing shit. I'm preaching to myself. And I'd say it's true when it comes to our marriages. We might say, man, I want a great marriage, but if we don't have it, there's something we want more. Usually it's to be right. Or yeah, or we want things our way. Finances. Denise told me that. I, listen, I... When I say I don't know anything about our finances, that is the honest truth. Denise tells me when I when hey, baby, I want to get this, we good. Uh, and if I was to if I ever sign my name on a check and I could not tell you when, if I signed my paycheck, they would think it, it, I, somebody was trying to to steal it because she signs it every week. I, I don't I don't even know how to sign my name anymore. No, that's not true. <laughs> but but she was talking to I think it was their daughter Kennedy the other day and. She's like, hey, yeah, yeah, but, the, because she was telling how they were getting out of debt, and they said, yeah, I said, our house payment is about the only debt we have now. And I'm like, praise Jesus. But you know what? It didn't just happen by us saying, hey, we want to get out of debt. It happened by us starting years ago that when we go out to eat, very rarely do we order drinks, tea, Coke, or whatever. We thought, man, that's $2.50 a pop. That's $5 between us. If we got our kids with us, that's twelve, fifteen dollars. And you may say, Well, that's not much. I'm telling you, in time, it adds up. A lot of times we go out to eat, people will look at us like we're crazy because we share a meal. Yeah. Why? Because there's we want to be out of debt more than we want. That. In fact, we got really cheap. These carries around this little squirt thing that squirts in our water and makes tea out of it, just like that. I'm telling you guys, the kind of decision that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 13 is the kind of decision it takes for us to live a better story. We can talk about it all day long. We can talk about personal preferences, but until we make an unconditional commitment that no matter what everybody else is doing, no matter what else is going on, this is the way I'm going to live my life. This is the way I'm gonna do it. This is I'm gonna grow in my relationship with God. I'm gonna get out of debt. My marriage is gonna be better. I mean, that's so wild. That's what's so wild about David. And and what I think really stood out to these mighty men about David is this. He regularly put himself in a place where no, I'm gonna do this. It says, you have to decide. Do you know where the word decide comes from? A Latin word with, with two, with, it's a, actually two words coming together. One word means from, and the other word means to cut. So decide literally means that you have cut yourself off from any other options. I decide I'm going to eat healthy. What does that mean? I've cut myself off from unhealthy options. I decide I'm going to have a great marriage. What does that mean? I decide I'm cutting myself off from anything that hinders my marriage. I want a better relationship with God. What does that mean? I'm, I, I'm going to cut myself off from things that stand between me and a great relationship with God. And I think that's what David, what's so great about David, that's the decision he made. Hey, this right here, I'm putting myself out here. There is no other option but God. If God doesn't come through, oh, oh well. Denise and I over the, over the weekend had, had the opportunity. Tickets were given to us uh, for a conference down in Atlanta. Uh, and I, to say it was powerful would underrate. In fact, I bought the videos because I want to show our leadership team a lot of it. But the final day, man, this panel of Andy Stanley, his dad, Charles Stanley, and Andy's daughter. I tell you, I, I left there with so much respect and just admiration. And Charles Stanley, they asked, so. What enables you to make the decision, decisions you make? Because where he comes from is unbelievable and what God did. And, and he said, my grandfather told me this years ago. And he said, it is what I've clung to ever since. He said, my grandfather said, obey God and leave the consequences to him. He said, and that's what I've lived my life by. Obey God. Leave the consequences to him. That's the way David lived his life in front of these men. He obeyed God. God, you want us to fight the Philistines? There's, there's, we're out in number 30 to 1. I'm going to obey you. You deal with the consequences. And his men saw something compelling about that, to live that kind of life. I'm telling you, what do you really want? Third thing, don't try to skip past the hard stuff. Can I tell you, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be. Every great story has conflict. Everyone, there is no story. It, see, in the movie Taken, uh, Liam wouldn't be. Uh, that movie wouldn't be great. As about if it was about Liam and his daughter going on a great European vacation. It wouldn't be a great movie. The the uh, the the Magnificent Seven. How many saw that? The remake of it. See, that wouldn't have been a great movie if it was about seven guys that look fabulous. But it was about, it involved conflict. It, it, it involved uh, this, this, this young woman, her husband gets killed, trying to stand up to the bad guy. She goes and finds Sam Chisholm, which is played by Denzel, Denzel the man. Washington, and, and to, uh, go bring justice to my husband's death. So Denzel's character, Chisholm, he goes recruiting guys. One of my other favorite characters in this is Faraday, played by Chris Pratt. And I love that one of the conversations, Faraday Chisholm comes to him and says, we're looking for some men to do a job. Faraday says, is it difficult? Chisholm goes, it's impossible. Faraday says, how many you got so far? Chisholm says, you and me. And Faraday's like, I'm in. That's the kind of story that legends are made of. I mean, if you know the movie, they go on to recruit five more guys. And, man, they, they, they go in there and, and, and justice is brawl. But there would not be a story without conflict. Every great story involves conflict, even marriages. I've had couples telling me, you know what, we've been married so long, so many years. We've not argued one time. I'm like, okay, either one of you are Jesus, <laughs> or you just don't care. I'm telling you, conflict is healthy in relationships, but, 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 and what they're doing, when they say, we ne- we've never argued, they're making a statement about their marriage, but it's not the one you would want to make. What they're telling me is someone in that relationship has emotionally just checked out. Yeah, yeah, They've just checked out. You see, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. And if you never disagree, if you never argue, it is because somebody has just checked out. Passionate people disagree. Passionate people argue. Yeah, Me and my wife are very passionate people. <laughs> but I'll say this, passionate people also learn there's something not worth arguing about. like toilet paper, (laughs) over or under. I don't care as long as it's there. Uh, Is it okay to pee in the shower? I'm just looking at how some of y'all responded. Know whether, if I ever have to go to your house, if I want to be in a shower or not. (laughs) Squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom or roll it up. Here's my thing. I don't care if the knee squeezes it, rolls it up, punches it together. As long as her breath is fresh, when I go in for a kiss, that's all I care about. Listen, let me break. If you, these movies where the couple wakes up first thing in the morning and they start making out, come on, give me a break. It's like, uh, you go get you some scope or something first. I ain't, you ain't touching me. Every good story involves conflict. Don't try to skip out on it because it's what makes your story compelling. David's story involved conflict. I mean, if you'll remember, his own, da- his own dad overlooked him. His own brothers told him to leave, get out of here. He faced a lion. He faced a bear. He faced a giant named Goliath. He then faced a jealous king that tried to kill him on multiple occasions. Yet through all that conflict, what does it say about David at the end of his life? He was a man after God's own heart. I'm telling you, conflict. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. But I'm telling you, when it's faced, that's when stories and movies are written. Look what James 1, 2, and 4 says. I'm getting ready to close. This is the craziest scripture to me. Come on, anybody else? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Anybody else think that? Think it's, come on. Am I the only one? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not liking anything. Consider it pure joy. You know that's a financial term? Consider. It actually means to evaluate. Evaluate. Here's what you need to understand about joy. Joy isn't a situation. Joy isn't happiness. Joy is this. Consider it joy. Here's what joy is. It's even in the darkest moments of your life. Joy is even in those moments where you're just, you, you're, you cannot believe what's going through. You've got this peace that God has never left your side. That God is with you, and that God somehow will work this out for your good. That's joy. So when James says, "Consider it pure joy when you face trials," what he's saying is, is make a deliberate decision to evaluate whatever is coming your way with this lens. God is with me. God is for me. God's working in my for my good. Uh, oh, that's coming at me. He said, make a deliver, make a to evaluate it through those lens. I, I don't like conflict. Anybody? Can anybody rely? I don't like it. I I don't, but it is necessary. I don't like setbacks. But here's what I found in my own life. When I look back at those times of conflict, after they were done, that is some of the times that I grew the most in my faith. The times I experienced growth in my walk with Jesus. Telling you, you can live a better story. The fourth thing you need to do is this bring others into your story. When you look at David's life, David only had a handful of battles that he won without brothers beside him. The lion, the bear, the giant. After that, all of his success were tied to him and his mighty men. Do you know when David's story got ugly and started turning? When he decided to isolate himself from his brothers. When he decided to send them off to war. And he stood back at home. He sent them off to war. He goes up and he's looking looking around off the castle. Spots Bathsheba baby naked. Never would have happened. If he had surrounded himself and stayed connected. I'm telling you. As long as David was connected to community, you see the dynamics of God in his story. It's the moment that he isolates. Listen, men, you need other men in your life that you can hang out with, that you can go to a movie with, that you can watch a game with, but also that will hold you accountable. Ladies, you need other women in your life that you can go get a cup of coffee with, you can hang out with, go shopping with, but they'll also hold you accountable. That's young and old. Denise and I, we lived, when we first moved back, we lived uh, had a we lived in a, in a house on the lake uh, over in Spring City. And we bought this $500 ski boat, and it looked like what you would think a $500 ski boat looked like. But it did the job for us. It pulled down around the lake. But here's what I found out. You leave that boat down by the dock, it can look like the perfect day. There's no wind blowing. There's not a ripple on that lake. If you do not tie that boat up to the dock, you come back 15 minutes later, and it's drifted away. Same is for us. If we don't stay connected to a community, we drift And you never drift in a good direction. I'm telling you, bring others into your story. Uh, Ecclesiastes says this, two people are better than one, uh, uh, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Who are the people you've surrounded yourself with? Are they challenging you to grow in your relationship with God? Are they challenging you to have a better marriage? Are they challenging you to be a better husband, a better wife, a better kid, a better student? Men, who are the guys that are challenging you when it comes to the way you look at members of the opposite sex? Ladies, who are the women challenging you in the same way? Who are the people that are regularly reminding you that your identity is not shaped by this culture, but by the Word of God? Bring others into your story. Lastly, stick with it. Even when it's tough, stick with it. Even when life throws you a curveball, stick with it. Even when the doctor's report comes back bad, stick with it. Even when those paper comes in the mail telling you that that so-and-so's filed for divorce, stick with it. Even when mom and dad have gone and abandoned you, stick with it. Stick with it.